check, check. All right, I think I got everything fixed. Things were a bit squirrely this morning. I think they're okay. We'll find out. Good morning, everyone, and welcome. This is Just Human number 232. I'm kind of sort of awake. I thought I was more awake. I thought I got up on time with, like, plenty of time to spare to get everything set up. And somehow, between making coffee, taking a shower, and getting dressed, I lost twice as much time as I thought I did. I looked at the clock and was like, holy crap, where did the time go? I was in some kind of time warp. Or vi vacuum or something. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of awake. I think I'm awake. <laughs> um, and then of course I'm morning where I'm a little. I'm having one of those mo those Monday morning type mornings. Uh, I have tech tech difficulties, but hopefully it's all working. We will find out. There's so much news to cover. I really need to be doing two shows a day, uh, but there's just no way for me to make that happen. We. We didn't finish our last reading, which is uh, Jack Smith telling, uh, arguing to the court why Trump shouldn't be able to compel the discovery he's trying to compel. Um, but there's so much other news going on, and I'm going to finish this. I'm going to finish this. And if we're going to finish this article or this filing, and we're also going to try and grab a whole bunch of other news before um, I have to go. Um, I do, before I get into this, uh, no, RL Skeeter, I have not done anything to my mustache. <laughs> like, this is, I haven't done anything. 
uh, we'll see what happens throughout the show if it suddenly decides to just go wild. I don't know. Um, I do want to address something that um, about, from Monday's show. So on Monday, we went over the whistleblower complaint against Jack Smith that Patrick Byrne put out the liver punch thing. And after reading through it, you know, my, I started out neutral on it and then I ended up, uh, against it thinking, nah, this is probably not right. It's I'm I, the red flags to me were that the Mary guy was reportedly CIA and that he reportedly was connected to Jack Smith in some way, but it didn't give any strong evidence that he was connected. Right. Um, so I left it thinking this is probably more so a situation where Jack Smith is investigating those swamp creatures in Europe and this Ameri guy and others know that. And so they're posing as people who represent Jack Smith in order to extort those swamp, those swamp creatures. And Jack Smith may not necessarily be involved at all. It's just that they're interceding like a, like a mafia thug and being like, Hey, you know, I'll, I'll call, I'll call my buddy Jack Smith off. If you give me some money an extortion racket, which is a scheme, you know, racket scheme. That's very common. Um, and that's kind of where I read it, uh, wound up with this. I think that's probably more likely true. But one of the things I need to correct though, is that early on in the reading, someone in chat said, Hey Kyle, that Moynihan guy, is that, I think it's the same guy as the Clinton foundation whistleblowers. Now, I, I dismissed it out of hand. I was like, nah, nah, I don't think it's the same guy. And I thought that because it didn't lead with that. It didn't, like, it wasn't in the complaint. Like, I thought that would have been part of the introduction. Like, hey, this is, Moyn this is Moynihan, and he's part of the Clinton Foundation whistleblowers, and their lawsuit's going on in the tax court, and has been for years. And I thought that would have been included in there, and it wasn't. But later, after the show, some other folks reached out to me, it said, no, 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 that is the same guy. So I was wrong. I was totally wrong. Um, and knowing that, it actually gives it more credibility to me. So now I'm back to just being neutral on it. Just flat out neutral. Because, Yeah. That's that's just where I'm at on it. We'll see. We'll see if there's any th other information that comes out. You know, I'm just uh, feels like a deployment to try and keep this narrative up that Jack Smith and see another thing that's like it seems like how convenient that that kind of a story comes out against Jack Smith at the same time that Jack Smith has gone to the U.S. Supreme Court to get a ruling on his uh, on President Trump's immunity which is definitely helpful to President Trump um which we're going to Trump has responded to it I'm I haven't read it yet he it just came out this morning uh let me see let me see yeah right here so uh yes day before yesterday so after the show uh it, Jack Smith filed with the U.S. Supreme Court asking them 
to take up his case is a huge filing, 81 pages. Um, asking them to take up his case. And the question he put before them is this, whether a former president is absolutely immune from federal prosecution for crimes committed while in office or is constitutionally protected from federal prosecution when he has been impeached but not convicted before the criminal proceedings. Well, that's what Trump wants to know. That's what Trump wants to know. And he's appealed to the Court of Appeals, right? Jack Smith, as Jonathan Turley called it, is leapfrogging that. Jack Smith is now seeking to leapfrog the appellate court and ask for a ruling from the Supreme Court on Trump's immunity claims. The only reason for this petition is to seek a guarantee that the trial of Trump and possible conviction happens before the election. The matter is currently before the D.C. Circuit, which is viewed as favorable a favorable court for Smith. Okay. However, Smith is trying to avoid any delay in the March trial. Oh, wait. I need to show you what's on my screen, don't I? We're having a very pro morning. It's just going to be one of those super pro mornings. Yeah, so the matter is currently before the D.C. Circuit, which is viewed as a favorable court for Smith. However, Smith is trying to avoid any delay in the March trial date set to begin the day before Super Tuesday. So the Supreme Court may not view a trial of Trump during the campaign to be as motivating and as urgent as Smith does. But this is a novel legal argument that the court would ordinarily prefer to hear the views of the appellate judges. And I think that is most likely. So what's probably going to happen is SCOTUS um I've seen some I've, I've seen some misreporting that SCOTUS already took it up. That's not what's happened. What's happened is that Jack Smith filed this 81 page filing petition asking SCOTUS to answer the same questions that Trump is asking the appellate court to answer. And what SCOTUS did is they then said, okay, we're gonna give Trump's team until next week, I believe it was, to, uh, there we go. Here it is. I think it's next week. SCOTUS has granted Jack Smith's petition to expedite for cert. They haven't accepted the case. They haven't said, okay, we're going to take this case up and look at it and rule on it. They said, okay, we understand that this is a... Uh, you want this done quickly? We'll go ahead and accept that, that you want it done quickly. We'll put it in the fast lane. President Trump has until next Wednesday to file a reply. Well, he filed a reply this morning. So, let me grab it. I think I can get it. Hold on. Hope y'all are doing well. It's just I'm a little I'm a little bit off my game, I feel this morning. We have so much news. Gotta get it together. I didn't even drink last night. I kind of feel like I did. But I didn't. I went to bed at oh, I know what it is. I know what it is. I went to bed at a reasonable time last night. That's what's up. That is what's up. My bad, guys. Now I've solved it. 
that's where I screwed up. I went to bed at like midnight. Which is weird. And it has messed everything. That's it. That's why my computer was messing up. That's why the camera wouldn't work. Dear, dear, dear. Okay, just a moment. Since I've already getting in, gotten into this uh, topic, I'll try and see if we can get Trump's filing. I should have known better too. I should have known better. Okay, uh Scotus is taking up Scotus is going to take up one of the obstruction cases related to J6. So that's great news. That is great news. Just saw that. Um, yeah, it's Fisher versus United States. Sweet. Fisher versus United States. That's one to watch. Remember, I was talk I've talked before about how uh if they take up the stuff it has to do with corruptly obstructed January 6th and depending on how SCOTUS rules they could undo um, hundreds of January 6th cases so I'm going to have to find Smith's latest filing here in a minute I mean um, Trump's latest filing here in just a minute Okay. This is Jack Smith's cause. I need to be able to find this. Trump side. It is number 2364. All right, let's get to the let's get, let's go back to the other stuff that I already have set up instead of me just wandering around trying to get find what I need. And We'll get back to reading this. Oh, so Hunter did show up? Okay, Hunter Biden showed up at the Capitol, but says he will only answer questions under his own rules and won't comply with the subpoena from the House. All right, that means they're going to pursue, or that should mean, if they follow through with what they said, that should mean that Comer and Jordan pursue contempt charges. Should. That's what they said they'd do. Okay, we'll find out. All right, let's let's like blow through this right here. Uh, this is Jack Smith arguing against the motion to compel. 
discovery in the DC case. Uh, we we read part of it. We're a little over halfway through. Let's blow through this last section, which is probably going to be, it might be the most interesting section because it has to do with foreign influence and Jack Smith arguing why uh, he should not, uh, Trump should not be granted uh, this discovery. And we'll go, we'll go through this and then we'll go through the other stuff happening on this uh, DC docket. Okay. And then we have some other news to get to. I actually have several things lined up, but this, uh, Trump and team responding to SCOTUS so quickly that has me thrown off. I'm going to have to find it somehow. All right. Next, the defendant, this is foreign influence. Next, the defendant mischaracterizes the facts regarding foreign influence by exploiting a largely irrelevant and minor point of disagreement in the ICA. So that's the intelligence community assessment for 2020. Um, that's the one that John has talked about before uh, where Ratcliffe disagreed with uh, that assessment and said that China should have been given basically, basically China was way too, was treated way too soft in it. In particular, although the intelligence community enjoyed widespread agreement on key judgments, one, two, three, and five of the ICA, some disagreement stemmed from key judgment four relating to the extent of China's influence efforts. The majority view was that China drew up a plan to spread disinformation, but did not act on that plan. The minority view, that which was held by the DNI and the cyber NIO, all uh, as articulated in the unclassified ICA and the DNI's public dissent letter, was that China took steps to act on its disinformation plan. The defendant, without explaining the context of the full report, cites only his minority view that, quote, some of Beijing's influence efforts were intended to at least indirectly affect candidates, political processes, and voter preferences. And that Beijing's preferred uh, Beijing preferred Trump's defeat, but the defendant omits the conclusion of the same minority view. The DNI and the Cyber NIO unequivocally stated they quote have no information suggesting China tried to interfere with election processes, and that disagreement about China pertained only to influence attempts, not interference. With this spin in hand, the defendant demands information on foreign influence that is neither within the possession of the prosecution team nor, te nor tethered to a legitimate defense. He claims he needs this unspecified category of evidence for two reasons. To show, one, efforts by foreign actors to influence public opinion on January 6th, and two, that the defendant relied in good faith or was tricked by foreign disinformation. His claims are meritless. First, the request is incomprehensibly, incomprehensibly broad. The defendant demands all information relating to foreign influence efforts targeting the 2020 election, whether or not he was briefed contemporaneously regarding these issues. Got skipped down. Paired with, the defendant, paired with the defendant's reimagining of the prosecution team, the defendant is asking for all information regardless of classification level, in the possession of the executive branch and Congress on foreign influence to influence opinion of any individual voter anywhere in the country, even in states won by the defendant with respect to the 2020 election. His balanced demand should be denied for this reason alone. Second, 
the defendant attempted to launch a fishing expedition. Um, it's, it's particularly impermissible since the requests are not tied to admissible evidence or a legitimate defense. As described below, the defendant seeks discovery in service of improper third-party guilt, reliance defenses, something he cannot do under Rule 16. So, I mean, Jack, I gotta say, guys, Jack Smith is not wrong here. Um, sorry, I'm sniffly. Like I said, it's a Monday. I went to bed too early. Um, Jack Smith is not wrong here. He's just restating what the ICA says. And um, that's going to carry weight. That's the position of the federal agencies, right? That's going to carry weight with the judge. And for everybody who thinks that the election was rigged through primarily, if you think the election was rigged primarily through vote hacking or some sort of cyber interference that flipped votes from Trump to Biden. I can understand why you think that, but we just don't have a, we don't have a federal agency that has found that. Um, we have lots of allegations. We have some, you know, video game like clips and videos that purport to show what it may have looked like. Um, but hard, hard evidence, it's not there. So it's totally understandable why people think it. And I definitely think our, I mean, I, I think we have evidence that our election system is not Im totally immune or secured from such activity, right? But as far as Trump being able to pluck out, hey, here's where it happened. Here's where the evidence is that bolsters that claim. I need it. I need it for my defense. I don't know where you go for it. Um, and these agencies, like, and, you know, these agencies could be wrong. I'm not saying they're not wrong. Okay. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying they're not, that they're, they have it right. It's just that it's pretty, the evidence of that is, is thin um, at best, unfortunately. And I think that, I pers as I said the other day, I personally think the majority, um, the vast majority of the election fraud that occurred in 2020 was done at the ballot box and in adjudication, not through cyber attacks and vote flipping. I think, I think I really do. I think it was multiple people voting with multiple ballots. I think it was, um, people voting for dead people and voting for out of state people. Just anybody was on the rolls. Basically anybody on the voter roll who didn't vote, got a vote added to them. <clears throat> and then machines being miscalibrated, ballots being misprinted, uh, whatever, causing things to go to adjudication where then a person could go in there and click and decide who that ballot actually was for. I think those are the more common means of the voter fraud. And then also, if it was a cyber attack to make sure Trump won, why didn't it also, uh, why didn't it also flip votes for the Dems in the down ballot races? Um, so I think I think it really happened at the local level, not through a cyber attack. But okay, third party guilt defense. The defendant's first 
argument that foreign countries spun up the defendant's followers and caused the capital siege is a thinly veiled argument of third-party guilt. Evidence of third-party guilt normally fails the balancing test prescribed by Rule 403 where the accused does not sufficiently connect the third party to the crime. The probative value of the evidence is speculative or the evidence of the third party's guilt would not actually exculpate the defendant. Here, the defendant's third-party guilt argument contravenes Rule 403, and for that reason alone cannot form the basis for his indiscriminate demands for classified documents that are not in the prosecution team's possession. No one disputes that certain foreign countries, to varying extents, attempted to influence Americans and spread disinformation. But the lies told by others in no way exonerate the defendant for the specific lies he told to his followers or the criminal steps he took to illegally retain power. Even if the actions of a third party could legally excuse the defendant's crimes, and they cannot, the defendant's assertion that foreign countries somehow inspired the capital siege is both speculative and far-fetched, particularly in light of his own deliberate actions that caused the attack. Now, here's where Jack Smith's wrong. <laughs> his overbroad discovery request should be denied. Uh, let's skip that. The indictment sets forth extensive evidence of the defendant's lies to influence his supporters leading to the events of January 6th. The notion that the rioters who sieged the Capitol were inspired by foreign countries rather than the defendant's drumbeat of inflammatory and false rhetoric is at best a counterfactual guess, an unsubstantiated possibility that cannot justify the defendant's vague and sprawling request for all information relating to foreign influence possessed by every federal employee outside the judiciary. I think we can make that same argument back at Smith. Like, I think we can take that and flip it. Uh, the notion that rioters who seized the Capitol were inspired by Trump rather than foreign countries and paramilitary groups and uh, anti-government whack jobs who wanted, a rev who wanted to start a revolution... And their drumbeat of inflammatory and false rhetoric is at best a counterfactual guess, an unsubstantiated possibility that cannot possibly justify the prosecution's vague and sprawling request for all information related to Trump's influence that is possessed by federal employees, by Twitter, etc. We can just flip that right back at you, Jack. Trump's argument, in other words, Trump's argument that he is making here that a third party influenced the Capitol siege and made it happen is no more thin than what Jack Smith is arguing as the basis for his indictment on these charges right here. And that unsupported guess is flatly contradicted by the defendant's persistence and persistent embrace and validation of the rioters conduct to this day. Well, I can flip that and that unsupported guess is flatly contradicted by the defendant's actions and words that day in the video he posted on Twitter telling people to go home and the request he made at his speech, which the rioters didn't attend, uh, the primary rioters, the worst of them, did not attend his speech. The way he ended his speech was that they should be peaceful. That was his directive. All right, Foreign Influence Reliance Defense. The defendant's second proffered reason for introducing foreign influence evidence 
is that according to his discovery motion, the defendant, then the president of the United States with the full intelligence community apparatus at his disposal, was fooled by rumors that foreign adversaries spreading, uh, spread following the 2020 election. Quote, evidence of covert foreign disinformation campaigns relating to the 2020 election supports the defense argument that the defendant and other actors acted and others acted in good faith, even if certain reports were ultimately determined to be inaccurate. That's what Trump's team argued. But the defendant does not point out or not point to a single one of his false statements that he might have derived from a foreign nation which renders the material irrelevant irrelevant under this district's case law. Until the defendant can show he earnestly bought into the foreign disinformation and establish which foreign rumors were of specific concern to him and on which he relied to make his dozens of false fraud claims described in the indictment, evidence of foreign influence is not relevant and cannot justify his vague demand for production of documents the prosecution team does not have. Something that's occurred to me, um, when it comes to Jack Smith not having some of the stuff that Trump is requesting, one, I'm not like, I think, all right, so, oh man, I can't give away a conversation I was having with someone. I can't give too much of it away. Not yet. So, uh, I better not. I'm trying. To, I'm. I was having a conversation with someone else about something they're working on, and I can't reveal that part of uh, that gummit. It's not a secret sources thing. It's that they're working on something, and I don't want to. I don't want to uh, give away what they're working on. Um. Let's just say I'll put it this way. Where this information uh, would lie, where the information of a cyber attack that didn't influence but interfered with the election in 2020, where that would be is with Cybercom. And that's military. So I'm not surprised that Jack Smith is like, we don't got that information because I don't think Jack Smith would have the, uh, that evidence from Cybercom. So that's, that's my mind keeps going to, you know, if there, if there is evidence of the 2020 election being rigged, um, quote unquote, being, uh, votes being flipped or inter- counting of votes being interfered with in some way, manipulated in some way by foreign actors through cyber campaigns to interfere with, um, hack into and change things, whatever. It would lie with cybercom is my understanding of where it would be. So I wouldn't be surprised that Smith's team does not, is not in possession of that stuff. And if it's an active ongoing threat, something that the military is dealing with, then I don't think it would make its way to Smith yet. But that's very, that's still speculation. That's still speculation. Smith is going to want to go off of what the ICA says, what the CISA statement is and what CISA found. And they're going to want to go off of DOJ and DHS material. And they're going to want to 
go with the official lines, right? Um, and Trump is saying there's more than that. And I'm not surprised that Smith is, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Smith is completely underwear, unaware that there's more than that. So, but that's just, that's just kind of what's on my mind. I see, I got to answer uh, some stuff on, on Pilled. Um, one, Unchained, thank you for the, for the cookies. I need a cookie this morning. I really do. I should, I need a real cookie. Oh, we have a, we have a new bot. Donald is a walking crime spree. A walking crime spree. <laughs> oh, they say they're not a bot. They're just a tool bag. <laughs> All right. So anyway, um, somebody's got a question about 2000 mules and I want to answer it. There we go. Always criming. Trump is always criming. All right. So uh, Unchained wrote, 2000 Mules is going to be proven right because of the cell position data that they claim wasn't valid. I'm very, I, I have soured greatly on 2000 Mules. I have soured. It's, uh, I'm, I'm like one of those candies. I'm like one of those candies from the 90s when it comes to 2000 Mules. Um, whatever they're called. Warheads or whatever. Um, so, the... One, the documentary is not a documentary. It's a made... It's a made-for-TV movie with a lot of production. And not a lot of substantial facts and information. I mean, um, the cheap shot at it is they literally show you a map of Moscow and make you think it's an American city and that they're tracking mules moving around in this city. But it's completely fake. It was a, it's a map of, of Moscow. It's a 3D graphics package suite that you can buy online. Um, it's, 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 uh, it's completely a mock-up. It's not real, but it's portrayed as if it is. Um, and then they're in that studio thing. Like they're like in their like comm center, right? With all the TV screens and computers everywhere. And they're doing these panning shots of, of, of the people talking to one another and explaining what they found. That's all fake. That's not, that's just a soundstage type thing. Um, there's very, very little in the movie that is actually substantial and like is evidence of anything. Um, so like where they, all the mules they show in the movie, for example, where the mules go and they, they drop ballots off. They never show them doing more than one. They, they, they claim like the whole claim, the premise of the movie is, um, the premise of the movie got another bot. Today's a good day. Then 
Got another bot. The premise of the movie, right, is that there are these mules who are being paid to have to get multiple ballots and then take them to multiple drop boxes, right? Yet the movie doesn't show any single mule going to more than one location. That's it. They just they show you each mule goes to one location and then they keep playing that same video clip over and over while they talk from their fake command center and show graphics that are made in Photoshop studio or whatever, and that you can buy online from various websites for whatever movie you're working on. Um, oh, another bot. This is awesome. So in other words, in other words, Bill Barr was right about 2000 mules. In other words, Bill Barr was right. Um, it's very thin. The other thing is that you can't. So like on the cell phone data thing, Think back to 2020 and ask yourself, how many times do you think in 2020, November of 2020, actually it'd be October and November, okay? So like the, the, just take the six weeks before uh, the election, election day, okay? How many times do you think you drove within a hundred feet of a drop box with your cell phone in your pocket in your town. Just ask yourself, how many times do you think you drove past and got within a hundred feet of a drop box in the, in the weeks leading up to the election? Because the self, if I guarantee you, I bet every single person watching this show, if we could pull your cell phone data from those five or six weeks leading up to November 3rd, 2020, if we could pull your cell phone data, we would be able to create the same claim in the 2000 Mules movie against you. We could say... I bet every single person in this chat, unless you just live like in a super rural area and you never go to, t to a city, um, we would be able to say, yep, you went past a, uh, a drop box 25 times in those weeks. You got it within 100 feet of a drop box 25 times within those, those weeks, right? You must be a mule. And so the cell phone data is useful, like cell phone data is super useful. Okay. Like I'm not saying that you can't ever use cell phone data. The, like I, I, when I watch like other criminal cases and stuff for fun, um, you know, cell phone data comes up all the time because they'll use the, the person's cell phone to track them near the crime scene. And they'll say, okay, your cell phone pinged off these towers, which means that you were in this area where the crime was committed around the same time the crime was committed. So we can like localize your cell phone to that area, right? It's very useful. Um, and so it's useful here. It would be useful for tracking these mules, but there's just too much ambiguity with it. Um, Jason, yeah, like it has to be, have be matched with other data and it has to be refined down to really pinpoint it. And with drop boxes being at many different locations in your city, 
you just driving around, you're going to drive within 100 feet of one, most likely. So, what? I don't think any of my mods are here. It's all me. <laughs> I don't. I don't think any of the mods are here. That's all me, guys. <laughs> all right. Anyway. Anyway, I don't want to. There are some other thing reasons I've soured on 2000 Mules too, which are actually different from the movie. Uh, I there's there's some other things. Uh, I won't get into it now. Let's get back. Let's get back to this because if I don't get back to this, then I'm going to. Uh, there's a lot more reasons to disbelieve the 2000 Mules claim, and uh, um, there's a lot more reasons. Anyway, so the CISA statement, 2020 ICA, and DOJ DHS materiality statement. The defendant requests that, quote, reports relied upon the prosecution and prepared by its witnesses, including the 2020 CISA statement, the 2020 election ICA, and the DOJ DHS materiality assessment. To be clear, the authors of these reports are, are fact witnesses who did not work for an answer to, to the prosecution team. The reports represent the findings of the intelligence community. DOJ, DHS, and councils of public and private sector entities devoted to election security. The relevant federal components were led by officials the defendant appointed and promoted. The government anticipates these witnesses will provide testimony that incriminates the defendant, but their reports were prepared while they worked under the, de under the defendant's leadership, not the prosecution's team. Moreover, Attempting to evade a cumulative analysis that defeats materiality, the defendant mischaracterizes the documents as mere summaries of classified reports. What the defendant calls the 2020 CISA statement is available in its entirety online and is appended to the defendant's motion. Similarly, the public iteration of the 2020 ICA is a declassified version of the classified report with an analytic judgment that are, quote, identical to those in the classified version. In considerable detail, the declassified ICA provides the extent of foreign interference, which is none, according to that, and the, the ICA. According to Jack Smith, according to the ICA, according to the federal agencies, it's none. The countries that engaged in influence efforts, which is not the same thing as interference, the goals of the influence campaigns, the mechanics of the foreign operations, and the dissenting views on China's influence efforts. The public version simply omits classified sources and methods, which the defendant does not explain why he needs. And though not clear from the defendant's motion to compel, the government has already given the defendant two versions of the classified ICA, including a draft made available to co-conspirator four, I believe that's Jeff Clark, prior to his briefing with the DNI and a final classified version, save for the end notes that have never been provided to the government and contain extremely sensitive information on covert operations, sourcing, and methodology. Interesting. Yeah, I think so too. I think mean, that was another bot. Thank you, Music and Fiction. And Dylan, thank you for the cookie. FR Larry, I bet you did. 
You may not think you went past a Dropbox but once, but I bet you did. The, there were Dropboxes everywhere. Next, the defendant makes three misleading claims. First, the defendant invokes a completely unrelated event, the SolarWinds attack, to support his speculative and conspiratorial theory that there was foreign interference in the election, contrary to universal consensus of the officials he appointed. Even if the defendant is correct that Russia breached federal networks as part of the SolarWinds incident, he omits two critical details. One, states, not the federal government, operated the machines that were used for voting tabulation. And two, the SolarWinds attack had nothing to do with the 2020 election, as the defendant knows through uncontradicted statements of senior knowledgeable officials provided in discovery. Footnote nine. Let me see what that footnote says. The government responds further in a short classified supplement filed today. Okay, so Jack Smith has gone so far as to file a classified supplement in regards specifically to the solar winds attack. Interesting. Second, <coughs> second, the sorry about that. I should have muted. Second, the defendant claims the 2020 CISA statement was, quote, part of a partisan effort to provide false assurances to the public. This counterfactual assertion is bewildering. The defendant created CISA through an executive order. That is true. He personally appointed the director of CSA, of CISA. Yes, he did. And when he terminated that director, went out of his way to pick the replacement under the Federal Vacancies Reform Act. In signing the November 12th statement, CISA was joined by the EAC, National Association of Secretaries of State, National Association of Election Directors, and a half dozen other entities. Yep, Trump got all the swamp creatures together, didn't he? The joint statement that there, quote, was no evidence that any voting system deleted or lost votes, changed votes, or was in any way compromised, was identical to the conclusions of the intelligence community federal law enforcement community, and the National Security Council, all of which were led by officials the defendant appointed. Trump put all the deep staters into their positions and then baited them into making such a statement. Possibly. We'll find out. The defendant himself proudly tweeted five days later that the election was, quote, virtually impenetrable from foreign interference. There is no evidence the November 12th statement was a partisan effort to mislead the public, and the defendant fails to establish materiality for the additional information he requests. This is a new bot scheme. Soundproof curtains. What kind of bot scheme is that? <laughs> like, <laughs> they're running out of ideas. <laughs> <laughs> soundproof curtain bot third the defendant attempts to bolster his argument by again asserting partisan bias and in intelligence to that end he cites january 6 2021 letter to congress from an intelligence community analytic ombudsman within the odni describing politicization in the intelligence community what the defendant does not mention to the court, however, is that the ombudsman letter describes politicization of intelligence not to the defendant's detriment and not during the time period of the charged conduct, but by the defendant's own hand-selected acting DNI. Subsequently, the draft was held up by the acting DNI Grinnell 
for weeks before publication and underwent what appears to be politically motivated editing. They did not like Rick Grinnell. The deep state hates Rick Grinnell. So does their media. So do Democrats. They absolutely hate Rick Grinnell. So do a bunch of uh, posers uh, who call themselves MAGA, but are actually counter-influence operatives. They hate Rick Grinnell, too. I love Rick Grinnell. I would love it if Trump named Rick Rick Grinnell, Rick, um, Grinnell his vice president. I would love it. Infrastructure compromises voting fraud and irregularities. Okay, I'll address that. TVT, don't don't ex, don't extrapolate it out to that that extent. TVT says Cash Patel even referred to 2000 Mules in his kids book. So is Cash not legit? Are we sour on him? No, I'm not sour on him. And no, I don't think he's illeg- illegitimate. I think Cash Patel is totally legit. 100%. I like Cash. Um I'd, I'd like to see Cash Patel in the next in the next Trump administration, very much so. But just because he referred to 2000 Mules in his book and just because Trump promoted 2000 Mules doesn't mean that everything in 2000 Mules is legit. I think it brings me back to something that um uh what's his uh what's his name on True Social? Chesterton. 5D Chesterton. A long time ago, 5D Chesterton uh, said to me on True Social that we're all going to have to become the arbiters of our own discernment. And I think that's what Trump wants, and I think that's what is right for all of us. I think that's what the patriots want. I think that's what we have to do. We all have to become the arbiters of our own discernment. In other words, we all have to manage and be responsible for our own discernment. And, and we have to be cognizant of where our biases lead us astray, such as when someone we like says a thing we like, and so therefore we agree with it, and we promote it, and we don't question it. We shouldn't do that. Just because Trump promoted 2,000 mules doesn't mean that every single thing in 2,000 mules is accurate and well thought out, well presented. No. We don't do that when it comes from someone else, right? We have to have much more circumspection. And yeah, it's part that's part of being responsible for the information that we decide to adopt and and, and further. Like that's what I mean with on Sundays when we, we end the show with the tagline everybody's trying to program you. Don't let them program yourself. Part of that is that even Trump, who's trying to program you, right? Even, even Trump, who's trying to program you, don't let him, don't let Trump program you, program yourself. You have to. So, um, and you know, I don't think someone like, and just to go ahead and head this off, like Dinesh D'Souza. I don't think Dinesh D'Souza is a bad guy. 
I don't think Dinesh D'Souza is some sort of infiltrator or that he's a liar or anything like that. I think Dinesh D'Souza made a movie. That's what I think. I think Dinesh D'Souza made a movie. And he did a good job. He did a good job making a movie, right? Um, I think Cash Patel's engaged in narrative warfare, just like Trump is. Um, I think 2000 Mules is largely erroneous and full of half-truths and not that compelling once you dig into it. On the surface... It's compelling. On the surface, it's compelling because it describes and portrays a method of voter fraud. A method that I think is real. Right? I think that the way that the fraud was committed in the movie 2000 Mules is a method that is actually used um, in, in the elections to commit fraud. And we know that for a fact because people have been caught and they've been charged for doing it, right? People have been arrested since the 2020 election. People have been arrested and charged for running mules who deposited ballots to help those people win office or certain people win office. So it's a real thing. But what was portrayed in the movie is a movie. Um, yeah, wild Bard, wild boar already knows what I'm getting at the, um, the claims about, uh, conic are where I have a real problem because the source of all the claims that, uh, came out against conic is a Bush guy. So that's a problem, a swampy. Bush guy. And the more you dig into, well, the more you dig into Greg Phillips and true the vote, the swampier it gets. And I didn't think that at first. I defended that at first and I feel bad about it. I feel bad about it. Probably one of my biggest screw ups so far. Yeah. Probably one of my biggest screw-ups so far in doing this this podcast thing is not being is myself not being more circumspect and uh discerning when it came to Greg Phillips, True the Vote, all of that. Should have been a lot more cautious. So oh my gosh, it's another one of those soundproof curtain bots. Where <laughs> What the world? <laughs> okay. I got to get back to this. I want to get through this. We're, this is going to be one of those mornings. Dadgummit. That is one of those mornings. <laughs> oh my gosh. Jason of GTA. Thank you for the rant. Uh, he says, what I suspect is one who works in data mining is that it looks like big tech engineered the steel using composite data warehouses to find vacant votes. If so, I think Cyber Command would have it. Yeah, I agree with that, man. So I, I can totally buy into the idea that election systems, we know that election systems were hacked into and voter re voter registration data was stolen. There's been a federal indictment for it, uh, specifically with regards to Iran. And there's been others um, that have been caught doing, I forget which countries. 
I want to say China, but definitely Iran. Um, so I think I think that's a big part of it. They steal the voter registration data and they use that to then figure out who voted and who didn't, and then they filled in the vacant votes. Yeah. They don't need to go into the machine and use a cyber attack to flip things. They need to know who voted and who didn't so that they can then add votes in and vote for people. So, yeah. Yeah, U.S. advocate. Yeah, but Trump also praised Chris Krebs and CISA before the 2020 election, didn't he? The whole community got psyoped, guys. The whole community got psyoped. And see, anything like... You can't point to what Trump said about a person because Trump promoted Jan Halper Hayes who is a total shill, a total shill who spews misdis and malinformation 24-7. <laughs> Trump and Flynn reposted a clip of her. And she is a total misdis malinformation windbag. <laughs> like, like, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassingly bad. So you just you just can't go off of that. You got to be the arbiter of your own discernment. Yeah, you're every one of us is responsible for what we for for what we believe and what we buy into. You got to be careful. All right, I got to get back to this. All right. Um so the defendant requests all information supporting his position on on fraud in the 2020 election. Um, the defendant adds nothing to the motion and is so vague and it'd be meaningless, particularly in light of the government's full compliance with its discovery obligations, which Jack Smith says that they fully complied. We'll see. Uh, otherwise the defendant recycles the same misleading claims about solar winds and election websites, neither of which related to voting or tabulating. See, this goes to what Jason of GTA was just bringing up. Solar winds hack didn't need to vote didn't need to hack into the actual voting systems it's enough that they hacked into the voter registration websites it's enough that they got access to voter data from which they could then deduce who voted and who didn't who died who moved out of state and registered somewhere else all would be vacant vote name vacant name for which they could add a vote to and we know the SolarWinds hack, they didn't just get into election websites and things like that. They also hacked into the entire um, um, sealed docket. And that they stole, or it appears, they at least accessed a bunch of sealed cases, which may have been the main motivation. Like, I think, I think SolarWinds hack was carried out by mercenary hackers, similar to what the DNC hack was carried out by, is mercenary hackers. Um... I think it's mercenary hackers who get in and do this work and they may be Russians, but that doesn't mean they're Russian like as in a state actor. But I think that it's Merc hackers who then grab that information and then sell it off to nation states. All right. OD&I materials relating to the DNI's briefing of co-conspirator four. 
Referring to the DNI and co-conspirator four, the defendant demands, quote, all classified communications relating to the subject matter of their testimony. The government has already produced a relevant interview transcript. The agent notes from the interview, the documents shown during the interview, including co-conspirator four's notes, an FBI report of the classified portion of the interview and the relevant grand jury testimony, unclassified ICA, the draft version of the classified ICA, which co-conspirator four, that's Jeff Clark, if I remember correctly, reviewed prior to the DNI briefing and the final classified ICA. In all respects, the government has turned over everything in its possession related to anticipated testimony by any part party to these communications. To the extent the defendant is requesting materials a potential witness reviewed at ODNI, those materials are not in the prosecution team's possession. And the defendant has made no showing that the viewed materials, apparently to refresh memory, would significantly alter the quantum of proof. Let's look at that footnote. 10. The government did not coordinate the potential witness's visit to ODNI and has no knowledge of what documents were reviewed there. Interest. Okay, dude. Ooh, that's kind of intriguing. It's intriguing that Jack Smith felt it necessary to say that. Because I wonder if Jack Smith suspects there are more documents and materials which he does not have. And he doesn't want to get called out for not providing all the discovery. So he wants to make sure and say, look, I provided everything. I provided everything. And, and I, think he's, I think this is like a caveat here. He's heading off an accusation that he held this stuff back. He's saying, look, I don't got it. I don't know what else the DNI looked at. Trump knows. So does Ratcliffe. Okay. Instead, this request amounts to a fishing expedition for unjustified information with no, quote, strong indication that it will play an important role in putting on a defense. Let's see. Defendant requests extensive discovery from the district court. Okay. Such speculation cannot be a basis for a compulsion order especially for records the government has never possessed. He doesn't mean the government as a whole. He means him as a representative of the government, the prosecution team. Russian meddling in the 2016 election. The defendant has moved to compel production of the classified version of the ICA on Russian meddling in the 2016 election, along with all source materials, which would include classified assets, methods, operational details. None of these materials are in the possession of the prosecution team nor are they relevant to the charged indictments. On the surface, they don't seem relevant, but there's a reason Trump is asking for them. The demand is for classified information on events that occurred four years before the conspiracy, and in fact, before the defendant was even president. Yeah, but it's all stuff that Trump then relied on and... The stuff that came out of the 2016 election and the reports the government produced on interference in the 2016 election also informed Trump's thinking on the 2020 election. It relates to a... The demand is for classified information on events that occurred four years before. Okay. It relates to a different election and requests closely guarded secrets of national security about the illicit activity of actors who are not implicated in the indictment. Worse, the defendant does not explain how such information is not cumulative. Nowhere addressing the unclassified 2016 ICA or the 448-page Mueller report, both of which recite Russia's 2016 election meddling in significant detail. 
Indeed, the defendant never complains or explains what point he can make. He can make only wait what point he can only make with, for instance, the intelligence community's highly classified source material that he cannot make with the nearly 500 pages of official reporting on the same topic. Okay. Though the defendant admits that as president, he had unfettered access to the documents he now wants. He does not point to anything in the classified report that supports his defense. Specifically, he never claims that he saw the detailed information reporting and under undercutting any argument that he relied on the information when making his false claims. Okay. Finally, the defendant claims that based on his understanding of what occurred in 2016, he ordered certain cyber operations to prevent foreign interference and suggests that he is entitled to obtain and introduce significant classified details on those cyber operations. That would be really fun. I would really like, I'd really like to see that stuff. But the defendant is charged with making false claims of election fraud to obstruct the congressional certification and deprive Americans of their civil rights. There is no meaningful connection between the charges and the indictment and specific information relating to measures the defendant oversaw to mitigate cybersecurity. Ah, uh, that's not true, Jack. That's not true. Jack doesn't want Trump to do this. Jack, Jack doesn't want this information to be introduced and available to Trump. Because it undermines Jack Smith's claim that Trump was engaged in some sort of conspiracy to allege false allegations of election fraud and interference and all that. And that that would be undermined by this evidence. If Trump can get access to these operations, which he directed or signed off on, which specifically were meant to block cyber intrusions in foreign operations to mess with the 2020 election, then it undermines Jack Smith's key claim that Trump was lying about such things, that such things ever existed. In other words, Jack Smith is claiming that the defendant said the defendant wanted the, wanted the house to burn down. And Trump is saying, no, I didn't want the house to burn down. In fact, I installed a sprinkler system and put up, put in, installed fire alarms. And Jack Smith is saying, no, there's no evidence you did that. You wanted the house to burn down. And Trump is saying, no, I took steps to prevent the house from burning down. You can't claim I wanted it to burn down. I took preventative steps offensive steps to prevent such a thing from occurring. All right. The defendant's demand for wholly irrelevant, but highly sensitive and classified information on this front serves only two improper purposes. First, an effort to delay trial with improper discovery request designed to gray mail the government. And second, an effort to admit relevant evidence of the defendant's good acts at trial. That's what I'm talking about. Good acts. Um, I agree with Jack Smith on this first point. Trump is definitely using every means he can to delay the trial further. And he's succeeding. He is succeeding. All right. Then also evidence relating to the January 6th protest, though professing its irrelevance, the defendant seeks material related to January 6th that he already has to which he is not entitled or both. The court should reject this request. <laughs> 
The defendant seeks all documents, including private communications in which prosecutors, law enforcement, and other officials made statements that are inconsistent with the prosecution's position regarding responsibility for January 6th. As a legal matter, neither Rule 16 nor Brady requires the government to scour publicly available court documents for statements from federal prosecutors in different cases. All that stuff is already available. Likewise, publicly available court records available to the defendant with reasonable diligence cannot form the basis of a Brady motion. The public records of court proceedings and prosecutions arising from the Capitol breach are not favorable or exculpatory to the defendant. Yes, they absolutely are, let alone materially so. But regardless, the defendant is well aware of those records and has chosen not to use his ready access to them. They're, they are very exculpatory for Trump. Moreover, as a factual matter, none of the defendant's misleading and accurate references to January 6th cases help his cause. Blah, blah, blah. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Next, the defendant again references out-of-context out statements from the closing argument in United States v. Rhodes, in which the prosecution said that Rhodes, the leader of the extremist group, group Oath Keepers, acted despite the fact that Trump didn't take action. But the defendant fails to disclose that the reference action was Rhodes' desire that the defendant stop the election to call up the military and groups of Oath Keepers to seize voting machines, to overthrow the result, and to hold a new election by invoking the Insurrection Act and putting militias like Oath Keepers in power. That's true. That's what Rhodes wanted, and Trump didn't do it, so Rhodes tried to start a revolution by taking over the Capitol. It still helps Trump. The closing statements in the United States v. Rhodes still help Trump because it proves that Trump, that, that Rhodes acted on his own because Trump wouldn't do these things. <coughs> the defendant's failure to subvert the democratic process in the wholly different way that Rhodes hoped who neither exculpates the blah, 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 blah. Finally, the defendant misrepresents the government's legal arguments in other cases. That the defendant did not authorize rioters' actions, meaning that the rioters could not properly invoke a legal defense of public authority or entrapment by estoppel. As a claim that no government attorney has made, that the defendant is not responsible for the events of January 6th. There is nothing legally or factually inconsistent or exculpatory about efforts to hold accountable all offenders criminally responsible for January 6th whether they be rioters who attacked the Capitol or defendants here who directed rioters to do so. Expanding even beyond his request for public records, the defendant also claims he is entitled to, quote, private communications of prosecutors, law enforcement, and unidentified other officials within the government supposedly containing statements about the defendant's role in the attack on the Capitol on January 6th. But Rule 16 does not authorize the discovery or intro inspection of reports, memoranda, or other internal government documents made by the attorney for the government or other government agent in connection with the investigating or prosecuting the case. Request for security at the Capitol. The defendant claims that he, quote, is entitled to all information relating to security at the Capitol on January 6th including documents and communications regarding requests for security and the timing of the National Guard's deployment that day. In his telling, the information would show that unnamed, quote, federal and local officials believed adequate measures existed that day to protect the Capitol during the riot that the defendant fostered, and any delayed arrival of the National Guard contributed to the violence. 
The defendant further claims that he is entitled to information from the government about which he was not even aware of on January 6th. The defendant's demand should be rejected. First, though the defendant does not tell the court this, he already has a substantial amount of information that he seeks. Whether or not discoverable, the government has provided in its discovery productions, one, interviews of witnesses who discussed deployment of the National Guard on January 6th, including senior members of DOD, the leadership of the Department of Justice during the defendant's administration, senior commission personnel in the executive office of the president appointed by the defendant and others, two, multiple timelines, some of which are publicly available, Regarding DOD and National Guard actions on January 6th, we've seen those before. Yeah, we've seen these before. And three, substantial select committee materials on this very topic, including interviews with U.S. Capitol Police Chief, the House Sergeant at Arms, the Secretary of the Army, the Commanding General of the D.C. National Guard, and the Mayor of Washington, D.C., as well as Appendix 2 of the Select Committee Report. Also available to the public and the defendant is the extensive report prepared by the House Committee on Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs entitled, quote, Examining the U.S. Capitol Attack, a review of the security planning and response failures on January 6th. The defendant does not specify what else exists that would not be cumulative and thus even potentially material for the ample information already at his disposable. Disposal. Second, the defendant is not entitled to information that did not affect his state of mind when he took the actions charged in the indictment. To support his contention that he deserves all the information on every event that he did not know about the, at the time, the defendant relies on a snippet from Safavian in which the court determined that a discrete set of emails between certain of Safavian's named associates and in the possession of Safavian's former employer, the General Services Administration, that's where... Uh, the plant Cassidy Hutchinson was employed too. regarding projects about which Safavian otherwise had knowledge or even integral to the, or were integral to the indictment were material to preparing the defense. Here, the defendant asked for undefined universe of information unconnected to any action he took on or leading up to January 6th and unknown to him at the time he undertook the criminal actions in the indictment, making Safavian in Opposite of e even on the facts. In a posit? In a posit, even on the facts. Moreover, since the defendant stakes the entirety of his discovery request on needing information to support his independent judgment that specific election fraud existed, and thus his good faith and the absence of criminal intent, his request for information unknown to him in the relevant time period that could not have anything to do with his state of mind rings hollow. Hmm. Government agents at the Capitol. The defendant attempts to compel, quote, all information regarding undercover agents and cooperators or government sources at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. Acknowledging that, in response to similarly similar discovery requests, courts have required a direct connection between informants and the decisions of the Capitol breach defendants. The defendant argues that he still is entitled to the information because it shows that violence on January 6th resulted either from the inability of undercover officers to prevent it or from unexplained failed sting operations. Yep, that's what Trump says. The defendant's simple declaration that, inadmissibility aside, the evidence certainly aids his defense does not make it so. 
Any such information is not relevant to the charge conduct or a valid defense in this case. And the defendant has provided no support for his request. I think Trump really does want this stuff. Like this, uh, some of this other stuff, like the stuff with the J6 committee and a couple other things. I, th- I think Trump is kind of playing around. Especially the stuff that's already public available. I think, I think Trump is kind of playing games there. But this, I think he really wants. And the defendant's effort to blame law enforcement for the riot of which they were victims fares no better than the attempt of a bank robber to blame security guards who failed to stop his crime. Ultimately, law enforcement's inability to prevent the Capitol siege has no bearing on the allegations pled in the indictment that the defendant fueled his supporters with knowingly false election fraud claims, directed an angry mob to the Capitol, did not try to stop or quell the crowd when it violently breached the Capitol, building and uh, halted the congressional certification proceeding and sought to leverage the resulting delay in proceedings. The sole case the defendant cites on this issue is United States versus Zinc. Defendant in Zinc moved to compel disclosure of all undercover agents, Antifa activists, and confidential human sources within his sphere of conduct on January 6th. Despite acknowledging that an undercover officer's identity could possibly be relevant if he directed or encouraged the defendant to enter the Capitol, the court denied the defendant's motion, finding it far too broad and noting that it sought identification of any and all undercover officers, regardless of whether these purported actors could have affected or did affect Zink's conduct or state of mind. As in Zink, the defendant has not identified any scenario in which any undercover officer or source could have affected or did affect his conduct or state of mind. The presence of undercover officers or sources at the Capitol cannot excuse the defendant's conduct in mobilizing angry supporters and directing them there. And nothing suggests that the defendant had any knowledge of undercover officers or sources at the Capitol at the time of the charged conduct. Ooh, wait a minute. Nothing suggests that the defendant had any knowledge of undercover officers or sources at the Capitol at the time of the charged conduct. I think he knew. I think he does know. I think he knew at that time too. Giglio material relating to Mike Pence. The defendant seeks purported Giglio information, quote, evidence relating to unauthorized retention of classified documents by Vice President Mike Pence. The special counsel's office did not investigate the former vice president for his handling of classified information. And the defendant has the same public information about the matter as does the special counsel's office. Interesting. Per public reporting, the inquiry was closed with no charges. And if Pence is a witness, if, oh, he will be, he will be, the defendant cannot impeach him with mere accusations. The defendant further speculates that the former vice president sought to curry favor with the government when, as has been publicly reported, he moved to quash the grand jury subpoena and then testified only after federal court ordered him to do so. This claim is factually wrong and illogical. The special counsel's mandate was to investigate certain crimes related to the 2020 election. 
the prosecution team had no involvement with or influence over the Pence investigation. And the prosecution team has no discoverable information beyond what has been publicly reported. In any event, even assuming that some limited cross-examination on this topic was was permissible, the defendant can pursue it based on the public fact of the investigation alone. Purported bias and conduct. The defendant seeks to compel purported evidence of bias and investigate conduct, misconduct. This demand merely repackages the deficient request for a hearing. I think this is all narrative, really. Like this stuff right here where Trump is trying to get information about Jack Smith special counsel being unfair and other things. I think it's all narrative from Trump trying to keep it, trying to keep up appearances that Jack Smith is a monster who's inappropriately after Trump when really what Trump wants is this case. He, everything that's happening right now, Trump wants. But the defendant advances no suggestion that the information he seeks concerning the investigation would illuminate the identity of a separate principal suspect or otherwise shed light on any question of factual guilt or innocence, blah, blah, blah. Okay, scrolling to the end. Trump also requests information regarding FISA abuses. Jack Smith says there's no evidence that those even exist. Nowhere does he explain that the investigations related to this case mean what that means, but the underlying exhibit appears to reference rioters in the Capitol siege. See, Trump wants Trump wants evidence of the FISA abuse because Trump is kind of allegating here that there were foreign operatives president January 6th who influenced the crowd and and that the investigators have used FISAs to spy on Americans that were connected to them. And that's what he means. I think that's what he means by FISA abuses. All right. So we're finally done with this one. And uh, sorry, we're kind of having a Monday morning here on Wednesday, but whatever. Um, Jack Smith makes a good argument against some of the, some of the stuff that Trump's trying to compel the discovery on. Uh, and then some of it, he doesn't. I expect there to be hearings. So where we are on this docket, this file, that filing was 181. And since then, uh, Jack Smith has already made, also made a small filing, uh, asking for this, uh, this, uh, case to not be paused. Trump wants this case to be paused while it's pending appeal, um, at the appellate level. And Jack Smith does not want it to be paused because Jack Smith right now, Jack Smith is focused on making this. He wants that March 4th trial date to hold because he needs Trump to be tried as soon as possible going into the election so that he can get a conviction and sentencing before we vote in November. That's the play. That's the narrative as well about Jack Smith. And that's the play that he's putting forth, but it's already lost. It's already lost. This trial is not going to happen on March 4th. That that ship has sailed. Um, yesterday, um, Jack Smith went to the Supreme Court, as we talked about, and he's asking the Supreme Court the same question that Trump is asking at the appellate court, which has to do with Trump's motion to dismiss based on uh, presidential immunity and for constitutionally protected protections uh, that... Um, that he had as president. Those are the two strongest ones. When we remember we read Trump's motions to dismiss 
And those are the two strongest ones with the statutory reason also, um, also being pretty good. And Jack Smith is leapfrogging Trump at the appellate level. Now, what I said earlier, I really do think this. I think SCOTUS is going to say, no, we want the appellate court to rule first. And, you know, what's, what's kind of funny is that uh, I get why Jack Smith is leapfrogging Trump and going to SCOTUS because what would nor what are probably going to what's he's what he's expecting is that at the appellate level, the appeals court, Trump is going to lose, and then Trump is going to appeal it to SCOTUS anyway. So Jack Smith is skipping the appellate court and going to SCOTUS, but SCOTUS is most likely going to say. We want to hear from the appellate court first. So in doing this, Jack Smith is actually delaying it further because he's just making this, he's adding in an extra step. He's making an extra conversation happen, which is just going to lead to more delay. And that's partly why I said um, that special counsel Smith is giving Trump a huge assist. Because Trump was already appealing to the D.C. court over this issue, and Smith jumped into SCOTUS. And as I said, the common narrative is that Jack Smith is trying to get the March 4th trial date to hold. But I think this is probably the, this right here is probably the most important thing for everybody to understand about this. Um, Trump is not harmed by this case being active. And by the trial. It doesn't harm him. Trump keeps on, his support keeps on growing. And the longer these cases go on, the more his support increases. And the more street cred he gets. And so this March 4th trial date that Jack Smith is trying to get, like Trump's not scared of that trial date, but he does want this. He wants the delay because these cases are his campaign. Like I've seen, I've seen some people complaining that we don't want Trump on trial because that takes him off the campaign trail. But the trial is part of his campaign. Trump being in the courtroom is Trump campaigning. They're, they're not exclusive to one another. They're the same thing. Whether Trump is doing a rally in some state or Trump is in a courtroom sitting at the defense's table, he's still effectively campaigning. His name is out there. There's news report. There's constant news reporting on him. And his enemies keep on running into his matador's cloak. So he's not harmed by this case playing out, but even at SCOTUS, okay, this is probably the most important thing to, to understand about SCOTUS and the appellate thing, Trump's motions to dismiss. Um, if SCOTUS rules that Trump does not have presidential immunity, then this case is dismissed. It's over. And Jack Smith knows that. 
But if SCOTUS rules that Trump does not have presidential immunity, then it puts every previous, the current president, and any future president at risk of prosecution. So, if Trump does have presidential immunity, the case is thrown out. If he does not have presidential immunity, then every single president right now, past, and future is at risk of prosecution. So that's not necessarily a bad thing. Where I think SCOTUS will land is right here in between. And if SCOTUS lands in between those two things and says, yes, the presidents do enjoy immunity, which is what the founders believed and in what, and what has been our system for 200 plus years, presidents do have some level of, of, of immunity here. That will reduce Trump's legal risk. And it'll increase the legal risk to previous, current, and future presidents. And I think that is what will happen. And no matter what, it's a win. Like, there is no scenario here where Trump loses. Every single scenario, every possibility is a win. If, if SCOTUS punts on this thing, if SCOTUS says, no, we don't, even want to we don't even want to look at this, it's still a win for Trump. Because that would be effectively this right here, that he doesn't have immunity. And it would still delay the trial, which is what Trump wants. There, there's no scenario here where Trump loses. So that's why I say Smith is actually helping Trump. He gave him a big assist here. And I'm sure, I haven't read Trump's filing. But I'm sure Trump is going to fight Smith. I'm sure I'm sure Trump's motion is opposed, right? Let's go look. I would I would bet I'd bet a dollar that President Trump is opposing this going to SCOTUS so quickly. Julie Kelly always spins it in the most black pilled way, but uh what does she say? The prosecution has one goal to unlawfully attempt to try to convict and sentence President Trump before an election in which he is likely to defeat President Biden. This represents a blatant attempt to interfere with 2024. While pursuing his partisan goal, the prosecution waited over two years to bring the case. There's lots of narrative. In support, the prosecution made the, made the same argument it makes now, that violating President Trump's due process rights would somehow vindicate the public interest in a speedy trial. The appeal presents novel, complex, and sensitive, sensitive questions of profound importance which are whether a president of the United States may be criminally prosecuted for his official acts as president. And it goes to the core of our system of separated powers and will stand among the most consequential questions this court has ever decided. The manifest public interest lies in the court's careful and deliberate consideration of these momentous issues with the utmost care and diligence. The three judge panel at the appellate court that will first decide the appeal includes two Biden appointees and one Bush appointee, all of whom are women. Let's see. That has to do with uh, something else. All right. In Smith and Chutkin's reckless rush to trial, they are creating new norms to drastically alter the legal and political system in the U.S. These are the last two people who should be able to do so, but here we are. Blah, blah. Could pre look, look at what Trump, look at this. Look at what Trump's team put in their motion. 
Could President George W. Bush face criminal charges of defrauding the United States and obstructing official proceedings for allegedly giving Congress false information about weapons of mass destruction in Iraq to induce war on false premises? Boom. Boom. Could Obama be charged with murder for allegedly authorizing the drone strike that killed Anwar al-Walaki and his 16-year-old son, both of whom were U.S. citizens? Could President Nixon have been prosecuted for obstruction of justice for ordering the dismissal of Archibald Cox in the Saturday Night Massacre? Could President John Quincy Adams have been indicted and imprisoned for the corrupt bargain of appointing Henry Clay as his Secretary of State? According to President Trump, the answer to these questions is no. Footnote, President Trump has since filed two notices pursuant to SIPA 5 in which he notified the court and the prosecution that he intends to disclose classified information at trial in support of his defense. That's pretty cool. So Trump is going to fight this. Wouldn't expect him to do anything else. Even if Jack Smith is actually helping him. Trump can't say that. But anyway, there's just no... There's just no downside to what, how this thing is playing out. Okay. It's 11.08. I have some other news stories I want to get to. Still, still dragging. I shouldn't have gone to bed so early. Dadgummit. I really should not have gone to bed so early. I'll, that'll teach me. Okay, I need to update you guys on the Seth Rich case. And, yeah, that, um, and Hunter Biden. So, let's do Hunter Biden first. Thank you for the rant, Rhea. Appreciate that. So in the gun case in Delaware, the three count felony gun case against Hunter, something happened, which many of us predicted would happen. And that is that Hunter Biden's defense team is arguing that the gun charges are unconstitutional based on the second amendment, which is hilarious, but also true. They're right. They're right, because of SCOTUS's New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin decision that came out last June, or a year and a half ago, June, June 2022. They're right. These gun charges against Hunter are unconstitutional based on the Second Amendment and based on SCOTUS's most, reeling, most, most recent and most important two-way ruling in years and years and years, if not ever. So this document right here, they filed failure to charge a constitutionally permissible offense. They want Hunter Biden's gun charges thrown out because it's in, they are in violation of the Second Amendment. And there are many cases that are working their way through the court system right now that are making the same argument that Hunter's team are now making here. And I think they could win on it. I think they... <clears throat> it's possible. It's po it's really possible these gun charges could be thrown out. 
But this one here, um, immunity conferred by his diversion agreement. Hunter's team are still arguing that the diversion agreement, the plea agreement that blew up famously last July, was it? That it still exists. And that there's that special counsel Weiss is supposed to be holding to that agreement and, and isn't. So I think it's funny. They still think it exists. I don't know why they're making this argument, but I bet they're going to make it in the California case as well. I just expect it. They're going to bring in and they're going to file the same thing in that case. They walked. I don't know how they can make this argument when they walked out on it. They walked out on the plea agreement. It blew up. But that's what they're doing. Scalise says that there's going to be a formal vote on impeachment inquiry today. We'll see if it happens. But that's what Scalise said yesterday is that there's going to be a vote on it today. Hopefully they also vote to hold Hunter Biden in contempt. All right. You guys may remember a couple weeks ago, we had a, uh, a big ruling in the Huddleston versus FBI case, which is the Seth Rich laptop FOIA case. And the judge ordered the FBI to produce a Vaughn index and to also, most importantly, maybe produce a timeline for disclosure of information on Seth Rich personal laptop work laptop, DVD, and the tape drive within 14 days. There was some misreporting that they had to actually turn these items over. That is not the case. It's a timeline for disclosure. They had 14 days to do this, and it's a joint uh, plan. It's not the FBI produced it. It's, a, it's both. See right here, it says the government and Huddleston shall recommend to the court a timeline. Okay, so they both would have to work together. Well, 14 days was supposed to be yesterday, so that would mean today is the due date. They have to produce this timeline today. But there's been some changes. Three days after that order, the after that order was issued back on November 28th. So three days later on December 1st, the assistant United States attorney that was handling that matter, Andrea Parker left the U S attorney's office. She's been handling this case since at least uh, six months after it was filed. So at least two years, she's been handling this case. Um, she, her name is on almost every filing uh, from the FBI side. So she leaves, a new assistant U.S. attorney was assigned. His name is James Gillingham. Yesterday, the FBI filed an unopposed motion for an extension of time to file that timeline. They asked for 30 days. Okay? Today, meaning yesterday, the judge granted that motion. Okay? So the judge said, okay, yeah, that's fine. It's ordered, which means that it's now January 11th is the final date. That takes us out to January 11th, which means January 12th is now the new due date for this timeline. Now, I already see people in chat saying, how convenient. 
there's this shell game. Like I already see all that. I saw plenty of complaints online yesterday about how this is ridiculous. And there's tons of cynical comments on my post about this, but just hold up. Just hold up. Got to put this in perspective. They had to comply with the order within 14 days. And the person who has been handling this for two plus years left for another gig. So that's an understandable reason to ask for more time, number one. That's understandable. Also keep in mind that Huddleston and his attorney have to comply within 14 days. Under that same order. They may not mind a little more time. Think about it. They really might not. It's not just an order against the FBI. It's an order against both parties have to come together and come up with a timeline. So just because an extension is granted for the FBI doesn't mean it only benefits the FBI. It also benefits Huddleston to have more time. Next thing to keep in mind is that in the grand scheme of things, 30 more days isn't a big deal. It's not. Nobody is going to remember that they had 30 extra days. Once the timeline comes out, six months from now even, nobody is going to remember, oh, but they had 30 more days. I can't believe it. It's just not worth complaining about. Next thing to keep in mind is that despite a lot of protestation by the FBI and lots of whinging by many of people online, right? Everybody's whinging in the comments on this. More information keeps coming out. Like, like despite delays and all the cynicism and complaining, more information just keeps coming out. Another thing to keep in mind is that we were never going to get today any information. All that w- all that's going on is that a timeline for disclosure of the foyable contents of those items named in the order, the personal laptop, the work laptop, the DVD, the tape drive, all that is going on is that a timeline for disclosure of the foyable contents of those items would have been filed. It's not the revealing of the contents of those items. And once that timeline was filed, then the judge has to rule on it. And that's if Huddleston and the FBI agree on the proposed timeline, which they most likely won't. So once that timeline's filed, there's going to be more lawyering back and forth between Huddleston and the FBI. They're going to argue about that timeline. Huddleston's going to want it to happen more quickly. The FBI is going to want it to take longer. And then after that, the judge is going to rule on what the timeline should be. So 
Yeah. It's just, you got to keep this stuff in mind and keep these things in perspective. Like, and as, as Burning Bright says, like we're in a relay race, especially with this type of thing, especially with the Seth, Seth Rich Foy case. This is not a, this is not a sprint. Never has been. It's a relay race. And there's little prizes along the way. And I think that a lot of people, when it comes to the Seth Rich laptop, they think that nothing has happened. They think that it's been eight years and nothing has happened. That we haven't learned anything, but that's not true. That They have this perspective that no progress has been made, but that's not true. You have to follow this stuff. You have to track it bit by bit and event by event. And you learn that the wall that is up, that is hiding all the information on these, these devices is being chipped away at. A year ago, a year ago, we didn't even know these items existed. That they were, that it was even possible to get at these items a year ago. We did not know that the FBI had more than one laptop of Seth Riches. A year ago, if I remember right, we did not know that there was a DVD, a tape drive, or a metadata or metadata. A year ago, we did not know that the FBI had possession of these things and that they were in an evidence locker. A year ago, there was no, even a month ago, there was no order by the, by the judge for the FBI to produce a Vaughn Dex, Vaughn index of these items. A year ago, we did not know about the CHS in this case, and we did not know about the federal agent and the officer who provided these items to the FBI. So like it's, it's piece by piece. We keep learning more and the cynicism against this, it, the whinging, the, the black pilling, there's no, there's no benefit to, to that. There's no, there's no, there's no redeeming value in having that perspective on it, especially when we keep on winning and learning more and more and more. And a lot of, I noticed that when I first reported on this back on November 28th, that it was immediately misreported afterwards and it was built up into something more than it was. I noticed that big accounts who should know better and do know better misreported what I found as the FBI would have to produce all of these items and the information on them within 14 days, which was never true. And so they built up people's expectation, which caused people to feel even more let down than they should, because in reality, the order was very clear. We were only ever going to get a proposed timeline, two of them, one from each side, and then they were going to argue about it. And then the judge was going to rule on it. And that timeline, who knows what it is. The other thing that keeps on getting misreported is the FBI wants 60 something years to produce this information. And that's not true. 
the FBI was asked how long it would take them to produce this at a rate of 500 documents per month. I have it right here. There, you may have seen this claim that the FBI wants uh, 67 years, right? You've probably seen that. The FBI wants 67 years to produce the information on Seth Rich's laptop. That is not true. Or at least it's inaccurate. This is what they said. The FBI requests to produce the documents relating to the personal laptop at a rate of 500 documents per month and estimates that about 400,000 documents per ex exist. That would mean that, it would that the production schedule would be 67 years. They're just doing the math. If the FBI produced 500 documents per month, given that there are 400,000 documents in existence, it would take 67 years to get through all of them. It's a statement of fact. It's a state. It's a statement of fact. That's how much information there is. So there's only so many people, as I said before, there's only so many people who are doing the redactions and going through this stuff. So I don't know. I guess I just have more tolerance and more patience. Than most of the people I see online. <laughs> okay. Um, what time is it? Yeah, it's oh, I'm, my time is almost up. Why did I put this on there? Oh, yeah. I wanted to remind everybody that I've been making clips of the show and putting them in a playlist. So if you go to If you go to Just Human right here on Rumble and you go to Playlist, then you will see my clips section. I'll take out some clips today. And now that we're at, towards the end of the show, I should go ahead and tell you guys, if you like the show, hit the thumbs up, share it, share the clips. And if you want to support the show, you can sign up for my Substack, justhuman.substack.com. And that's where I do the podcast version. But also, if you're looking to support the show beyond that, you can go to ko-fi.com and buy me a coffee. You can click the Benson Honey Farms link. It's an affiliate link. And if you go over here and buy some delicious honey, then they'll kick a few dollars my way. And if you go to Bootleg Products, I used their seasoning last night. Uh, no, two nights ago, I used uh, Bootleg Products seasoning, fajita seasoning. Made some chicken fajitas. It was delicious. Delicious. No, it was no, not fajitas. Uh, I made some um, quesadillas. They're delicious. So if you go over to my link tree or in the description of the video, click on the bootleg products link. It's an affiliate link in whatever salsa or sauces or seasonings or chili that you buy over here. They'll kick a few dollars my way. Everything I have had from bootleg is delicious. I had the pineapple salsa last night with some nachos that I made and man, it was good. It was pretty sweet. I will say that. It was the pineapple was strong. I've had some other pineapple salsa that was uh it was like there was like a hint of pineapple in it. This was this was strong pineapple. I liked it a lot. And manly cans. I got manly cans right here. We've only got like what is it? 
what is today? We got 12 days till Christmas. There's 12 days till Christmas. Have you gotten the man in your life a Christmas gift? If you have not, you need to click on my link and go to Manly Cans. Pick something out. You can customize these cans. There's all sorts of different types. I have the Dapper Man can. Um, I have the Dapper Man can, but they threw in a beard brush for me. Either one of these, those are right up. Those are right in my lane, of course. And the coffee can. But when you go to these, you can pick out um, any of these cans. And there's also like some things you can add to it. You can upgrade it. You can add other things right here to customize it to your liking. <laughs> Manly Can are great products. I like their stuff. I've used the stuff that's in this can. I like it. Good stuff. And it's that time of year where you need to figure out a Christmas gift, Christmas gift for the man in your life. This is a great place to get it. And if you make a purchase over here, they, they kick a few dollars my way. So the show is user supported. That's what makes it possible. And I appreciate you guys making purchases over here. I get a notification when you do. I get an email notification telling me that somebody used my link and you guys are using it. And I really appreciate it. Everybody that's made a purchase at one of these companies, I appreciate it. And I appreciate them uh, partnering with me. Yeah. Christmas gr grift. That was a, uh, a terrible, terrible uh, mistake on my part. <coughs> there is a lot of Christmas grifting going on, that's for sure. Okay. There was something else I was going to get to. Let me close these things out. So we got the Hunter Biden thing. I got that. Is there anything going on in the Florida docket that I missed? No, there hasn't been a filing in the Florida docket. Yay. At least one of the dockets that I follow has not filed anything recently. It has given me a break. Okay. Got all those. Got all those. Okay. Aye, aye, aye. Kind of a Monday morning show. I can't believe how... Dr I don't feel awake yet. I don't know what's going on. I really should not have gone to bed so early. I'm so sorry. I'm not... A, I'm, it's just one of those... It's just one of those days. Sorry about that, guys. Um, Thank you to everybody over on Foxhole for all the gold pills. Really appreciate it. Easy Three Cents said, been thinking Jack Smith doing these cases is payback for totally screwing Grinnell with Kosovo and Serbia. I'm not sure. See, I think, um, if I got to put a dollar down, then I'm putting a dollar towards Jack Smith actually being a white hat plant. But because he just keeps doing things that help that helped Trump. And the other thing is that Trump and team worked so hard to do this narrative warfare to build Jack Smith up as this terrible, nasty, horrible, deep stater person. And no matter how much they do narrative wise with that, it doesn't fit. It just, it just doesn't fit. So 
And this latest thing with the with the whistleblower out of Europe, it sounds really, 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 really bad until you get to the point where you learn the actual guy who it all is like is the crux of the entire scheme is allegedly CIA and may or may not have any connection to Jack Smith at all. And the overall theory that Patrick Byrne put out was that because there's this blackmail, racketeering, extortion accusation against Jack Smith, he's in trouble. He's been found out. And so Garland's DOJ is hanging that over his head and forcing him to bring these prosecutions against Trump. But if Jack Smith is that unethical that he would extort swamp creatures in Europe for millions of dollars in exchange for not prosecuting them, isn't he so unethical that he would bring these charges against Trump anyway just because He's that kind of a prosecutor? So, it doesn't... It just doesn't fit very well for me. It just really doesn't. Thank you, Jason. <laughs> a tenor for the Christmas soundproof bot curtains. <laughs> <laughs> what a weird bot. That's got it. That's up there with some of the most bizarre bots that we've had on the show. Buy these soundproof curtains. <laughs> Hilarious. Okay. I don't, I'm not sure what I need to do to prepare for, uh, Devolution Power Hour tonight. I may need to go take a nap and try and like undo. I don't know what to do. <laughs> I, do I should? I don't know if I should take a nap and try and reset my brain, since obviously I slept too much. Maybe I should lift weights or something. Maybe I need to work out. I don't know. I got I got to figure out a way to clear this fog somehow. I feel like there's something I'm forgetting that I was going to present today, but whatever. <laughs> I don't know. Um on Friday. On Friday I need to tell y'all I am not sure I will do a show Friday morning. I want to do a show Friday morning, but I've, uh, I'm flying home to Texas on Friday evening and I got to get, I got to get my kids ready and all sorts of other things. So, um, I may or may not be doing a show on Friday and I know I'm not doing any shows next week because I'll be in Texas or at least I'm not planning on doing any shows next week. I'll do my Badlands shows. Um, but I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to do any of my shows here on my channel. We'll find out. I'm just telling you guys know ahead of time that, um, I'm traveling on Friday and then next week I'm going to be in Texas. So, um, 
thankfully, thankfully going to get to go home for a little while. Really looking forward to it. Definitely going to eat all the Texas barbecue I can and real Mexican food that I can, right? So, no, RL Skeeter, I don't think I'm coming down with another cold. God forbid. I'm about to travel. God, God forbid. Surely not. All right, I'll let you guys go. Thank you very much for the support. Thank you for uh, putting up with me this morning. Sorry I'm not on my A game. I feel like I'm on my, my C game or B game or something. I don't know. I need a reset. I'll try to figure something out before Devolution Power Hour tonight. <laughs> so, God bless you all. Remember, we're not going to win every battle. Kind of like in the Huddleston thing, in the Huddleston versus FBI thing. Not going to win every battle, but we are going to win this war. Stay positive. I will see you guys tonight in Devolution Power Hour. Wear a mask. <laughs> no. <laughs>
I've never 